December 22nd, 2021. Uh, let's talk tonight a little bit more, uh, almost a continuation of the class, the last class. I know the last class was, as Ralph pointed out, three weeks ago. So I'll very briefly jog your memory as to basically what we discussed in the last class. The basic premise and description of what we uh, set forth in last class, you could really find in sources 8, 9, and 10 on the page in front of you. I would address it then, but I'll very briefly touch on it now. What we talked about was um, how even in the Gan, which for good reason we envision Gan Eden as being this time, an idyllic ex uh, existence. It's the ideal time period during which uh, we reckon back to it at our greatest moments in life. It's what we yearn for. It's what we touch on when we're able to touch on truth in life. Midrashe uh, Hazal, the Pesukim and the Torah, all seem to bring us back, at least in my mind, that's the way I've looked to demonstrate and continuously look to demonstrate. That's what the Torah, that's what the Hachamim envision as our ideal expression of existence. That's where it was in the Gan. And yet, in that Gan, where perhaps you'd therefore envision life as being this absolutely distilled spiritual existence, what I called at the top of the page, soulful existence, a life of body and soul, ruhaniyut, uh, nonetheless, there had to be perforce, and we set forth several examples of such, a human dimension to that existence. After all, they were human beings, Adam and Hava. After all, the Torah does describe some sort of human engagement with a world. It's a world that's not exactly the world that we know. It's a world prior to, as we know, eating from Etzadat Tovara. But yet, and this was the critical point, there needed to be and must be in all life as ideal as we will become in life, a yidi'ah, there needs to be a life in which we're engaged in tov and ra. The mandate of Adam and Hava was to be peru urvu, was to procreate, and the description of their procreation, of having children, as we saw in source number eight, was Adam yada et hava ishto the ability for Adam to appropriately fulfill his mandate, which was peru urvu, which was having children, was through yidi'ah. Of course, it's making connections, but it's that yidi'ah which was discovered or appeared to have been discovered only after eating from etzadat. And yet, as we pointed out, although Ibn Ezra in source number nine, Zohar and others envision this as chronologically taking place after leaving the Gan, in other words, only after eating from Tovara, could they then uh, engage in a human activity of procreation? Could they then have the lust, the desire to come to one another to establish a relationship? Rashi, curiously, in source number 10, Rashi, curiously, in source number 10, says, Rashi's suggestion is this yidi'ah of Adam, of Hava, is prior to eating from the tree. Kodem shehata venitrad mirgan edem. According to Rashi, this took place in the Gan, which means to say the ironic, maybe surprising statement and description of yidi'ah prior to eating from Etzadat. Not only was it a necessary act, 
an engagement of humanity, of human expression, through Yediyat Tovara, through a world of not objective, but rather subjective determinations and understandings of feelings, of senses, and all that sort of business. That was existent. It had to be existent in the Ghana as well. That's what Rashi is telling us with that statement. And we discussed that, and we debated it, and I want to sharpen it a little bit more today. And again, to state it as clearly as I can, life as a human being needs to be exactly that. Sure, will strive for a ruhani existence, one which is dominated by spirituality. But if you believe, if you think, if you can conceive of a life where you've stripped away your physical existence and drives, you've effectively ended your life as a human being. No, but I brought myself into the gun. It's an angelic existence. We were never destined, never purposed to be angels. That's that statement. That's what the Pesukim already, potentially, as we discussed in that last class, what the Hachamim certainly are implying to us to live effectively, to live in an ideal world that we should construct for ourselves, is to live in a world of tovara even prior to banishment. It's not just a damned world after eating, wish we didn't have to be here. It's the world we needed to be in. It's the world that we could have and would have even had in the gun. To give you a few other demonstrations, not as sharp, but along those lines, well, I'll bring you back to source number one. So source number one describes the command, the initial command, even prior to, uh, well, not prior to procreation, after being placed in the gun. So the initial command in the gun is as follows, Vaisav of course, the next pasuk describes but don't eat from this tree, being the But it means to say that although you might be tempted, had you not known the storyline of the Torah, to say that in the ideal existence, there's no eating or drinking. It's an angelic existence. We would be like angels. The pasuk says black on white that God commands Adam and Hava to eat from those trees. Now again, you might imagine as well that this is some sort of uh, not to be taken literal expression of eating from those trees. After all, le'ovdao le'shomra, as the hachamim interpreted, is not actually to toil in the garden. It's some sort of expression of Torah and mitzvot, in other words, some sort of higher being uh, maintenance of life and of existence. But the words do say it. And the description, at least, that, uh, that what meets the eye, and in turn, the way the hachamim will interpret it, uh, do tell us that they're supposed to be eating. Why should they be eating? Why even describe a life of eating? How could we conceive of a life of eating? And we're dealing with the ideal existence. Ideal existence is like an angel, is it not? Nefesh HaHayim in source number two, in Sha'ad Bet, in Perik Vav, in one of his notes over there, makes the following two um, uh, points. He quotes from two separate Gemarot. First Gemara is in source number three, second source number four, one in Sanhedrin, the other one in Yoma. First one refers to that eating in the Gan. Says the Gemara here in source number three, Dafnun Teta Mudbet, Hayar Biuda ben Tema Omer Adam Harishon Mesev Bagan Eden Haya. Mesev Melashon Heseba. He would lean as he ate. I mean, that's the description. Of course, we know it from Lil Seder, but it's the way they used to eat. They would lean. He was eating, he had a mesibah in Gan Eden. And it was the angels who were solin lo basar umesanenin lo yain. It was the angels who were roasting meat for him 
and refining the wine for him. Now the description over there of the angel serving him already distills, purifies that eating. Which means to say, sure, there's a description which the hachamim are accepting of physical nourishment, of sustenance, of Adam and Chava, but what sort of physicality? Well, that's where they scale it back a little bit. And they say, you can eat and you can eat. The eating that you and I, well, maybe not you, that I uh, undergo in this world is a little bit less refined. And as a result, I have regular bodily functions and so forth. The description over here is one in which, not so fast, this was a refined eating, almost a spiritual eating. It's the closest you can come to describe a spiritual act of eating as to describe it, so to speak, quote-unquote, as being served by angels. Similarly, he quotes that later on in the Midbar, uh, talking about the man. Now, the man, of course, was eaten throughout the desert um, until entrance into Eretz Israel. But that man, what sort, of, what sort of nourishment was that? Of course, it's food from the heavens that already lends it a certain spiritual dimension. Harambam famously talks about Parashat Mas'eh. Parashat Mas'eh in the Torah is, uh, by and large, most of it, uh, difficult to understand Parashat. There's so much unnecessary details. One place to the next place to the next place. They traveled from here to there and to there to there and so on and so forth. It says Harambam, you want to know what the purpose of each one of those stops and the Torah detailing them? and reminding us and telling us all about them without telling us much details with regards to them. If you were to map them out, says Harambam, you'd realize, you'd notice that if you stopped along this journey in the desert, you would not find any nourishment which seems to naturally fall from the heavens. In other words, it's specifically there to tell you in these maybe desolate, maybe dry, arid areas, that's where they got the man. The whole point of Parashat Masih is to point out God's involvement in bringing forth the man in a supernatural fashion. Well, that being the case, what was this man? Well, not fully clear, but the Chachamim have derashot about this as well. And the association that Nefesh Hayim and many others draw is between the man, at the very least at the beginning of the journey and quote-unquote the food of Adam and Chava in the Gan, which means to say we're looking at some sort of more refined existence within the physical and material realm. And that's again the whole point of what I'm trying to drive home, to articulate, to depict to you, and that is a description of the ideal life being one not which divorces the physical from the spiritual, but rather finds within the physical, within the material, well, a refined, almost spiritual approach to it. Here says the Gemara Tanura Banan, it cites a pasuk from Tehilim, Lechem Abirim Achal Ish. And I understand it as referring to the man. And it describes it as food, or bread rather, of Abirim. Now, Abir, generally speaking, you'd imagine, means strength. Abir means uh, strong ones. So the Pasuk says that it's the food or the bread of the strong ones, hey Norman. Lechem says the derashav Rabbi Akiva, Shemalachi Hasharet Ochlinoto. The man was the bread which angels would consume, Divre Rabbi Akiva. Already an interesting, a very fundamental statement. That is that the man was, quote unquote, food 
which was, I don't know, spiritually charged or eaten within a spiritual context. When Bishmael heard about this statement of Rabbi Akiva, he said, Go and tell Rabbi Akiva that he made a mistake. He says, angels don't eat bread. So what sort of silly statement is that, Rabbi Akiva exclaimed Rabbi Ishmael. Angels, angelic bread, angels don't eat bread. What's his proof text that angels don't eat bread? Ironically, it's about a human being. Who's the human being? Moshe Rabbeinu, that when he goes up to the Har Sinai, he didn't eat bread or drink water. Almost an angelic existence then for Moshe, which is interesting. But nonetheless, that's the exclamation of Bishmael. So rather, what does the Pasuk mean when it refers to this Lechem, which again, we're envisioning as a reference to the man being Abirim. Instead of reading it as Abirim, says Rabbi Ishmael, read it as Evarim. Evarim, of course, refers to the limbs. The bread was almost consumed, or so to speak, consumed by the 248 limbs of the body. Well, what does that mean? That means there was no waste. That means that this physical nourishment was so utilized in the perfect fashion that there was no waste. There was no need to have any waste because they were eating it in the proper fashion. The food, the material sustenance in existence within this world was perfectly used. Ask the Gemara, wait a second, the Pasuk in the Torah says, Pasuk says in Sefer Devarim that there was a specific peg which you would have on your... Um, your, what's it called, your weapon, with which you would dig the ground in order to cover any excrement if you had to use the bathroom when you were in the Midbar. It appears as if they had to relieve themselves in the Midbar. Rabbi Ishmael, if we're to take you literally, that the food was, so to speak, consumed by their limbs, that there was no waste... Well, then how come they needed to use the bathroom? Answers of Ishmael, that was That was from food that was sold by the neighboring nations. We didn't walk through the desert and not encounter others. We didn't only eat man, we got food from others. That's why we needed to use the bathroom. Exclaims, and this is the most important part, It says, It says, If you were to eat other matters, but then you you ate man, and you ate man in the appropriate fashion, meaning this quote-unquote spiritual, physical, material, uh, soulful food, it would cleanse your body. So it was your cleanser, which therefore necessitated no waste. Well, then how do you explain the pasuk, which later on Moshe speaks to the people and says in Devarim, you need a yated, you need that peg in order to cover up any waste that you have out in the field. Answers Rabbi Lazar ben Partaya, that was le'ahar het, which means to say that Hetaegel, so to speak, reverts us or retra- re- re- um, reverses us from an existence in which the man was eaten within a context of, so to speak, spiritual nourishment and brings us into one of physical nourishment, translated by Nefesh Hayim as parallel to life in the Gan and out of the Gan. Not that there wasn't eating in the Gan. Certainly there was eating in the Gan. There was Yedi'ah in the Gan. There was eating in the Gan. There was physical nourishment in the Gan. There was Vayisav Adonai Elohim al Adam Lemor Mikol Gan Achol Tochel Read that literally. They were to eat, but the eating as similar as it might look to our eating of trees and fruits, was different because there wouldn't have been waste. How could there not be waste? That's nonsense, because it's done in this refined fashion. What do you got? Yes, Ray? It's interesting also, only because we've compared Yom Edith and Mama Harsin, also, 
Of course, of course, that's the parallel. Says Ricky, if Gan Eden and Ma'amad Har Sinai were Paskazu Hamatan and Ma'amad Har Sinai from the Nahash is gone at Har Sinai, so that is the Gan. And of course, Heta Egil is the eating. The Hachamim do that through and through. Nefesh Hayim, of course, is taking advantage of that and likening these two to one another, or making or drawing a similarity. But that's the description over here. One more step on that. One more step on that is, so that's in terms of eating in the gun. Now, okay, what other physical activity was there? Well, we got pretty much most of the physical activity we're suggesting based on Rashi. There was, there was sexuality, there was, there was reproduction, there's children there, which comes forth from the paradigmatic Yediatovara. There's eating, but it's done quote-unquote properly. What else could there be? Well, I've mentioned on many occasions that the way the Torah describes in Peregimal of Bereshit, Pasuk, maybe Chet or so, it describes immediately after eating from the tree, when they know that they are Erumim, that they're naked, which means to say that the symbolism in the Torah of Tovenra, of humanity, of human existence, of subjective reality, instead of objective, I can just look at you and take you for who you are, I now close myself as do you as to who I want to portray to others as to what I'm clothing underneath is no longer what's revealed clothing is the paradigmatic sign and symbol of post-eating all right, fair enough. And indeed, the pasuk in source number five, after the hagorot are made by Adam and Chava, their loincloth, upon being banished, God in Bereshit, Perek Gimal, Pasuk Kafal, He crafts for them kotnot or. He crafts for them... Uh, garments made of or, made of leather, a point we discussed in the past. All right, fair enough. It means clothing only came afterwards, right? Indeed, the Midrash in source number six, Bereshit Rabbah, is Doresh what those clothing were like? Many opinions. I only brought you the beginning of them. The beginning of them is the famous statement of Rabbi Meir that instead of reading it as Kotnot Or with an Ayin, you could or maybe should read it as Kotnot Or with an Aleph, the ability post Gan to find not the coarse reality of leather, but rather to find the light, the spiritual inherent in it. But the second opinion is the one I want to pay attention to for a moment. Rabbi Itzhak Rabia, and the second line over here in source number six. Omer, halakim hayu katsiporin, those clothing which were crafted by God for Adam and Hava were um, smooth like siporin, like a, like a nail. Vinaim, and they were beautiful, they were pleasant, kimbargaliot, like what's that? Pearls, right? So, and I was, okay, this is a description of the clothing, which means to say again, according to the mainstream normative midrash that we generally speak and quote, the clothing that are being described therein are the clothing that are only after eating, after all the pasuk says their eyes are open to their nakedness means they weren't wearing clothing the interesting part and I very briefly hinted at this in the past is that source number 7 which is when it comes down to it a very authoritative text in terms of Midrashim as I've mentioned in the past as well Harambam more than once I can think of two places quotes and he was very nervous about a philosophical point he was drawing forth or he was putting forth and he said but the Midrash thinks differently and he kind of scales himself back means you need to take Take the text of Pirkei Der Bileezer somewhat or very seriously. Here in Perik Yodal it has the following. Va'ira ki, uh, ki uh, excuse me, va'ira ki That's the expression of Adam after he's hiding from God. He says, I'm, I was scared, I feared because I was naked. Ma'ya Adam Harishon? Asks the Midrash, what was the clothing of Adam Harishon? 
Which clothing? After or at that time? Not fully clear. It appears at that time. We'll, we'll make certain at that time. Well, they make clothing on their own initially, and then he makes for them clothing afterwards. Were they wearing clothing, this is, to, to put it succinctly, I want to know, were they wearing clothing beforehand? Uh, the text doesn't tell us, in the eyes of the rabbis. And they make hagorot, and they make loincloth. Certainly sounds like they weren't wearing clothing. It's the simple interpretation. Source number six will tell us that. Peshat and Pesukim will tell us that. Pekedir Beliezer has it differently. Or Siporin, what they were wearing, and I'll prove it to you in a moment, this is what it means. What they were wearing until sin was or siporin, was leather, which was either thin or as smooth as siporin, as a nail. And there was, I don't know, a cloud which covered it as well, but it was clothing. Or is leather, is skin. Very possibly. Very possibly, says, says Charles, it's a reference to his own skin. Listen to the Midrash. Kevan she'achal, first and foremost, listen to the Midrash. Secondly, the Midrash already called it clothing. So, so you're right, no matter how we interpret this, ultimately speaking, it's something that they're describing as a covering cloth or clothing for... Uh, what, what quote-unquote didn't need to be there. It's more refined, it's actually more thin, it's smooth, it's got an but it was clothing, it was something. You're right, it may have just been their skin. Which means that it, lehavshit uh, means to skin, means to come off. So the skin comes off. So yes, it might be like a, uh, like a snake who, lose, who sheds its skin, and it may have been his actual skin, but again, we're calling it as clothing. And it's at that moment that he realizes, or that they realize that they are naked. In other words, according to the Midrash, prior to eating, there was something which covered them. Maybe it was a scaly skin like a snake. I don't know exactly what they're describing. I don't know exactly what they had in mind, but what I do know is it's again a reference which is at best surprising and most astonishing. It's a statement of prior to eating, life in the gun, the ideal existence. We've said so many times the paradigmatic expression of tov and ra, of eating from the tree, of noticing your human side, of expressing your human side is the clothing, is the me'il, is the begid of betrayal, of, of, of leaving God, is putting on clothing, of now seeing things on your own. They were wearing something beforehand, at least in the eyes of this Midrash, which means to say, again, in this Gan, which we envision for good reason as that ideal existence, there was never, at least in the eyes of the Hachamim, maybe in the eyes of the Peshat in text, never a vision of humanity diversed from material and physical expression. It couldn't be. We weren't created as angels. We were created as Human beings, yes, ma'am. So, wonderful question. Darke uh, Moshe quotes from Maharil, or maybe quotes it on his own. He says he's not really certain why, but uh, there. I'm not certain. I'm not certain. I'm not certain. I do. 
I, I'm not certain, no. What source? What is the what is the Midrash or whatever source you refer to? Understood. That's that's the fire. That, is that is that what the Midrash says? Oh, it does? No, I believe you. So Ralph says the Midrash goes further. I don't have this Midrash. No, no, I don't have it's great. It might be that Darke Moshe that I'm remembering, but 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 in short, he's he's just extending this midrash. Whatever. That's his skin, not his clothes. His skin, but what's the lashon of this midrash? No, no, I gotcha. His, but but that's fine, and I'm and I'm giving in to Charles, and I'm reading the midrash potentially like Charles. But the significant part here is such that there was call it different skin which was shedded. Why can't why can't the body on that level on on a ruchani level? I am, but you're calling it body still. I want it to be called, it's called body. It's not just. It's not being. There was body. It's not necessarily body on this physical plane of reality I understand. I'm not arguing at any point. I'm, I'm telling you. I'm t- it is physicality. There was something. That's the point. No, no, so that's the point. So I'm, I'm just saying, uh, to, to put it differently, Ralph, to put, it, to put it this way to you, is would you, and maybe you would, or maybe you have some midrash up your sleeve for this one, would you suggest that angels, quote unquote, in the rabbinic expression of angels, have skin? No, they don't. But that, so that's the point. Therein is that, that that is my point. My point is there was never an expression of humanity without the skin. I said the rabbinic expression of malach. I just want a midrash that says any midrash that you have about angels wearing clothing, angels having skin, angels whatever eating. You know, because that's hard to understand as well. Even when the text seems to talk about that, and hachamim get very confused about that as well for good reason because we associate those with human beings. We wrongfully, is my suggestion, associate that with human beings in a sinful, unideal state of being. It's the way you do it that might be unideal, but the existence of it needs to be there. You're a human being. So the skin, clothing, the skin, clothing with a hyphen in the middle, yeah, that's what there was, to Charles's point, to this mitrash, to your mitrash, but, but ultimately speaking, there was something which is more or is different than angels. And that, by definition, so so you might ask, and you did after the class last time, Ralph asked. So then, what's the difference between before and after the gan? If you tell me there was physicality in the gan, uh, what was the difference? And the answer is just in degree of challenge. That's the answer. The answer is that after the gan, we're more removed from the innate turn to physicality being expressed through spirituality, as opposed to afterwards. We're more distant one and the other. They're more intermingled, and there's less clarity in our own lives which means to say just envision it like this I've, I've said this sort of example many occasions the question is in your innate turn in a very hard to imagine but in a very sterile circumstance I bring you into a vacuum of existence and I give you a choice to turn right or left right is the right way left is the wrong way or left is the right way right is the wrong way whatever it is what would be your innate turn immediately 
generally speaking, as human beings, it's whichever way physicality and drives of hedonism and pleasure bring us. We would have to compensate or overdo ourselves in order to turn the other way. It doesn't mean we wouldn't be successful, but our innate turn would be one way. Life in, quote, a gun, life before sin would be an innate turn the other way. It doesn't mean that you wouldn't be able to turn in the other direction as well. That's what they ultimately speak and do. Yes? So based on that, would you say then that there was time in the gun, but the relativity might have been different? There was process, but the relativity might have been different? Correct. That's exactly what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that even in the gun, process existed. It's a, call it a, a more narrow process, call it a different relativity, but there was and had to be process because as a human being, there had to be, and the Torah is describing human beings there. And without process, using that word, without physicality, without tov and ra, whatever word you want to plug into this, and I put them all on the same platform, it could not have been a human existence. But it can't be. Ideal existence is not so. Not true. Ideal. Important question. Um, the, the Gemara and Masechet Sanhedrin, which describes two getting into bed and four getting out, is certainly describing a, uh, a relatively shorter or, or, or um, easier process. But ultimately speaking, they needed to get into bed. I'll throw it right back at you. Why'd they need to get into bed? Why didn't it just happen? The answer is again. The process element is wanting it. Okay, good. Good. The point is there needed to be a will, but there needed to be more than a will is what I'm suggesting. There needed to be a bridging, which was there, which was inherent, which was easy between physical and, and spiritual. And that was always, that is innate to human beings. It had to be and will have to be. And as we've discussed on many occasions, if that weren't existent, if we didn't have a physical drive, if we didn't have a physical ex expression, we would not be alive. There would be no purpose of creation and existence. We could not inhabit such a world. Which brings me to my last point, and it's to address another famous midrash. And, go ahead, please. Are, are you saying, though, that physical drive is something a, a result of something that was implanted in us or as a result of an evolution from the process of, of us being in Olam Both. One was implanted and we then magnified it or intensified it through what you're calling an evolutionary process. Me, me, the biblical man, calls it eating from the tree. We had drives. We had drives from the onset. We had to have drives. We know the catch 22. We couldn't have eaten from the tree if we didn't have human drives. No. They're both. They were a precursor. That's the point. I'm, and I'm answering. It all depends on what level of reality you're talking about. I, I, are you but saying that level of reality is that we started at a point where there was a drive, where there was a drive in the gun, but the drive was not my innate turn. My innate turn, my innate, my natural decision was the one of call it a met and shake. You said priorist. He put him in the gun. The pasuk says. I know. Yes. So I'm asking. Is God the starting point, the finishing point? Or, I mean, Both. Okay. No, so, again. Okay, so, so, so where's the drive coming from? The drive is coming from, from? From the fact that we are physical beings. Great. Okay. And does 
Yes. Uh, it, it, it as well. so okay. Okay. I, I'm not sure. I've, you, you have something that's bothering you on this. I don't know. It, it starts with creation of humanity. When human beings are created, it's there with them. So you want that prior to God, you want that in God. Uh, I don't know. Uh, what, I, what I do know is, by definition, a human being, whether in the gun, before the gun, after the gun, or in the gun, will have and does have the capacity to that drive for physicality because they have and we have a physical dimension to us. And in even the most ideal state of being, it cannot and should not be divorced from our being. It, it just can't. And to bring you to this uh, well-known midrash, but uh, perhaps less understood, and tried to give it a little bit of clarity based on Rashba, the Pasuk describes about how God in Bereshit Perek Aleph, Pasuk Kaf Aleph, Vayivra Elohim et Hataninim Haggedolim. God crafts, God creates, Taninim gedolim. Now the word tanin is a difficult word to translate, but it seems to be some sort of uh, water creature. Says Rashi, what were they? Dagim gedolim shebayam, great uh, fish in the sea. Continues Rashi, and he quotes from Gemara Masechet Bava Batra. The Gemara in source number 13 says, it's a reference to Livyatan uben Zugo, the Leviathan and his mate. What's the Leviathan? What's Livyatan? First, in terms of Pesukim, we have reference of Livyatan in Sefer Yeshaya. We have one or two or more references in Tehilim. We know from Barachin Avshi, Livyatan Zeyasat Alisahik Bo. You have it in Iov. You have this reference to some sort of Livyatan. Of course, we have it in the Berkat Amazon of Sukkot. What's Livyatan? Livyatan was conceived of by ancient by the ancient world as this great sea creature. Now, by neighboring cultures, it was envisioned as having godlike features. It would challenge the gods or God. As a result, already the fact that the Pasuk describes Vayivra Elohim, that it's a creation of God, that already negates if we're to envision the Taninim, this is a point Kasuto makes in his book, if we're envisioning the Taninim to be Livyatan, as the rabbis tell us to do so, so that's already a polemic against the neighboring cultures. God, the Torah, is saying, oh, you, you, you like those Livyatan? You think that's going to challenge me? Guess what? It can challenge me. I created it. It, has, it poses no threat to me. I am the creator. So already referenced in the Pasuk to the Livyatan, which is envisioned by cultures of the time many years ago as being a dominant force which challenges God. Not so fast. I created him. But what's the details of this Midrash? That God creates it, and afterwards, he creates this Leviathan, this Leviathan, both male and female. He then kills the female. He then salts it, almost uh, keeping it fresh for the future. For the righteous ones in the future. The reason he needed to kill the female is because if they would procreate, the world would not exist in their face, in their presence. It certainly doesn't seem to be making it as well as I said a moment ago. I said the whole point of this is to negate the neighboring cultures. So God created the Livyatan. You think it's going to challenge him? And yet the Pasuk seems to describe, the Midrash seems to describe it differently. The Midrash that Rashid's says, had God not killed the female, his world couldn't exist. I mean, what, what sort of reference is this? What's happening over here? First and foremost, and Rashba, Rashba Rabbi Shalomob, 
ben Aderet, one of the important medieval Spanish rabbis and commentators to Talmud, has a com- has has a, it's published separately. It's called Perusheha Agadot. His uh, on this Agada, he has a long commentary. I gave you maybe five paragraphs of it in source number fifteen. He begins, or for our purposes, begins with a contradiction. On the one hand, the Gemara in Masechet Berachot mentions that Olam Haba is an existence wherein there is no physicality. Sadikim Yoshvim Ba'atrotehim Berashehem, that has crowns on their heads. Venehenim Miziv HaShechina Olam Haba in Bodo Achila Lo Shetiyah. It doesn't have any eating, any drinking. Says Rashba, well, wait a second. This Midrash says in the future the righteous ones are going to benefit from the Livyatan, which appears to be saying we're going to eat the Livyatan. Uh, so we're going to be eating the Livyatan. You told me that a future existence, this ideal existence, was one wherein there's no eating or drinking. It brings us back to a point that we began the class with. Are we envisioning an ideal existence as one which has no eating or drinking, or is it one where there is eating and drinking? Says Rashbani has several approaches to the matter, but at the very beginning, he suggests the following. He says, well, there's a quasi-eating and drinking. He says there's some physicality, but maybe it's quickly lost, but it begins with a physicality. What do you mean it begins? Now, that, by the way, Rashba didn't need to answer this way. For one reason or another, he answers this way. You could have, and some of the Rishonim do answer this in a very different way. You could have said that uh, when we're referring to the Taninim, it's not referring to, quote, Olam Haba, it's referring to Yemot HaMashiach. Yeah, Olam Haba in Bolo Achila Veloshtiyah. Yemot HaMashiach, in this world, has physicality. Rashba doesn't go that way, which is already interesting to me. He won't go that way because he's willing to accept that in, quote, the Olam Haba, call it the quasi Gan Eden existence, is going to be eating and drinking of some sort. What sort? He says, well, it's going to be similar to Moshe on Har Sinai. Ralph, you invoked this example a few weeks ago. Moshe on Har Sinai. Well, Moshe on Har Sinai, do you mean to tell me that Moshe on Har Sinai had no physicality? Well, one of the Midrashim we mentioned earlier almost suggested that he was angelic, but was he? He was a human being, ultimately speaking. Uh, Rashba continues the description of Eliyahu being consumed or being turned into these flames of source, but ascending, quote-unquote, the heavens with his body. The description of the rabbis of Hanoch. At the end of Parashat Bereshit. These are individuals and, 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 and descriptions of times during which there is an ascension, a going up in terms of spirituality while maintaining a physicality. Says Rashba, not in these words, but to suggest there's a contradiction between an olam haba where, quote, there's no eating, and an olam haba where there is eating, is to miss this fine line. And the fine line is the description of our Gan Eden, is it not? It's a description of a refined eating. It's a description of that reality where there is that food, where there is that, but it's refined, it's like the man. Never too late, Judah. Uh, he continues, and he and, and he continues, and here's the most important part for, for me and for us. He describes this word Leviathan. Where does this word Leviathan come from? What does the word Levi mean? Atayilave ishi. That's an expression of what? To lend or to be coupled with. Right to a company. So he says the word Livyatan is already some sort of couple, some sort of accompaniment. He goes further, he cites a pasuk from the beginning of Mishle, where the pasuk says, Livyat henhem lerashecha. So it's almost Livya over there is Pe'er. So it's, it's both an accompaniment and it's an adornment of beauty, of grandeur.
So Leviathan, the sea, cre- the sea creature, this monster of sorts, is now being described. Well, of course it's being described as such. After all, the Midrash said it was created, Zachar and Nekeva. Zachar and Nekeva were already envisioning this Leviathan. Well, what's the inappropriateness? Why does God, quote-unquote, need to kill the female in order to bring about an existence to this world? That's a very strange description. Says Rashbah, here's, where, here's where you, what you have to break down over here. He says, what the Hachami toy with over here and imply elsewhere. Harambam makes this point, as did many of the medieval philosophers, is that when we talk about Zachar and Nekeva, I've mentioned this in many previous classes, we refer to different entities. When you overdo, when you think about it just as a male and female, you miss the point. You have to instead understand it as a Homer and Surah, which means to say there's the force and then there's the craftsmanship of that force. In other words, if you think about it biologically, the male is the one who injects the force of life, and the female then is the one who kind of processes it to a, to a certain extent. That's the description biologically of what takes place. In turn, he suggests, and this is a, this is a philosophical point that Ashba was very opposed to philosophy, but the Hachamim, who touch on this more than one case, what they're suggesting over here is, well, the force of our life as sentient human beings is one in which we have seichel. We might call that ruhaniyut. We have the ability to think. That's the zachar side. That's the force. And then there's the homer. Then there's just the, the physical side. So the zachar and the nekeva then, which is described in the Gemara, being coupled together. Now listen for a moment, because it's a little bit uh, contradictory to what you may have imagined. That would bring to the destruction of this world. Instead of envisioning this as that sea creature, understand this, says Rashba, in a figurative sense, he says every time the Torah describes actual physical realities, you have to understand them as more than just that. He says Gan Eden, he accepts Gan Eden was, but imagine it as more than just a physical place, understand what it meant, understand the messages that it has. He says Leviathan as well, he says oh, I'll accept this as being an actual creature which is created by God and has everything I discussed in the past about that Harari discussed in terms of it being um, what they believed was a God force and God creates it. But beyond that, go past the course and physical existence of this Leviathan. What are they describing? They're describing life. Well, if life was, and here's the key point, if life was one wherein we lived as human beings, that ideal existence, our physical, was so refined to the extent that the nikeva and the zachar inherent in each of us, our mind, our spiritual, our soul, and our body were one, there would be no settlement of this world. Why no settlement of this world? He quotes the Pasuk, which describes Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, in the eyes of the Chachamim, was Poresh min ha'isha. He turns to Am Yisrael and tells them, Shuvu lachem le'aholechem, go back to your tents after Ma'amad Har Sinai. Why so? To have relations with your wife. you, Moshe, po amod imadi, stay with me. What about his relations with his wife? Moshe got to the point in the eyes of the Chachamim, wherein his physical was so much refined by his spirit. Not non-existent, but so 
refined to the extent that to use his body and exert it for a sexual involvement was beyond Moshe's capacities. He quotes the Gemara Masechet Sotah about Ben Azai. Ben Azai, who was a minority opinion and criticized by the Hachamim, said, I, my heart is so engaged, so driven by Torah, I'm incapable of involving myself in a relationship with another. I can't get married, I can't engage in Pirya Virivya, I can't, and it's a, I mean, he said it, I can't fulfill the mitzvah Pirya Virivya because Nafshi Torah, I'm so hashub, I'm so engaged with it, says Rashba. That's the description in this Midrash in the Gemara Masechet Bava Batra. If a world was actually a Livyatan world, if we as human beings were living as Livyatan, well, we'd be in a little bit of danger because we wouldn't be having children. We'd be living in Ibn Ezra, in Zohar's Gan Eden, where Adam and Chava couldn't have children until they ate from that tree. Why do I mention this all to you in our context? I mention this to you because Livyatan, in the eyes of the Hachamim, is the creation of the Taninim. Creation of Taninim is during Sheshet Yemei Bereshit. That's long before eating from Eitz Hadat and banishment from the Gan and achieving a Yediat Tovara, which means to say again, God could not and would not place human beings or a world in the eyes of the Hachamim for they envisioned in such a fashion in a world in which spirituality is divorced from physicality, in which you shut down your body and your drives as a human being and say, well, I'm only going to... It couldn't exist. That's not to say that there weren't and won't be individuals, Ralph. There will be and there were. There's the Moshe, there's the Ben Azai, there's the Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. There's no question there is place for them but they're in that out-of-world existence. They might be living, there's the Eliyahu, there's the Hanoch, there's each of those descriptions, but ultimately speaking, what's that? Even they had body, but their body is, quote, the Gan Eden body, right? It's so refined, they had body, you're right, but their body, the suggestion of this Midrash as interpreted by Rashba, is a body wherein you couldn't have a regular existence in this world. Now he knows all the Midrashim, and he cites all the other Midrashim where Anshay Knesset Agidullah look to do away with the Yetzer Hara of, 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 of procreation, of sexuality, and they can't because they realize the world is going to be desolate. It's the same point, but that's the Livia. It's a fascinating take on Livyatan. It's, for me, the only way to read the Midrash after learning Rashba. Several of the other Rishonim touch on it, Yad Ramar, Bimeir, Abu Lafia, and others touch on this sort of expression through Livyatan as well. But again, to just state it clearly, Livyatan is the existence of this duality, of this accompaniment, one of the other, of the Sechel and of the Guf. And if the Sechel and the Guf are so perfectly adjoined to one another, we couldn't have a regular world as we have it. By definition, we need quote, and he calls it that as well, the Yetzer Hara, to drive part of our existence, to piece it all together. We, we followed up on the class, the last class, the three weeks ago class, where we discussed how even in the Gan, because what we've discussed over the course of five, six classes is after the Gan, after Yediyat Tovara, the, uh, the, the uh, unsuccessful attempts of Noah and of others to go back to the Gan, of Cain, to go back to the Gan, to believe that I can live in this world in a world of Emet, 
Shemit and Sheker, unsuccessful because you live in a world of Tov and Ra. We suggested three weeks ago, even in the Gan, there had to be a Yediyah. Said in other words today, a little bit more expansive, well, there was and needed to be a Adama expression to humanity. And Adam has within him, were made, Athar min Adama tells us in the, the, tells us the Torah, which means there needs to be a physicality. Well, how does that express itself? Really? That's an ideal existence? That's right. Refine it. It should have been and was refined to the extent that in the eyes of the hachamim, that's the food we were eating. No waste. Why no waste? It was a refined eating, eating experience. The food was so much a part of me and my nourishment and my soul that there was no waste. There was no need to have any waste. It was food which was, which was digested in that almost spiritual fashion, but a physical spiritual fashion. What's that? Which they rejected as did they with the clothing, as did they with all. Of course, but... The people in the Midbar rejected it the same way Adam and Chava rejected it. Because both Adam and Chava and Am Yisrael want the challenge of physicality. They want the degree of challenge to be manifested higher and stronger than what it was pre-eating from the earth. What it was, that's the description, we've said it a hundred times, of kafalem ha'har kigigit. The Gemara Masechet Shabbat says, God coerced us to receive the Torah. Really? Now we have a way of claiming that we were forced into this. What's that describing? That's describing a, an experience wherein we were like in the Gan. We were so attached to it, there was no way of making a mistake. There was, it would be really hard. We, as a result, this is, I think, the necessary next step. We, as a result, fight against that with Heta Egev. We can't do that. We are human beings. We want the challenge. I don't want to just be placed in a box my whole life. No, but it's a box and you're marching straight. But I'm not doing this. I'm not achieving this. There's no shleimut. There's no challenges that I have to overcome and become that refined being. My challenge as a human being by definition is to take the adama and turn it into adame. I'm going to turn it into a vehicle, a receptacle of godliness. What's that? What is which part need to end? Why will there be an ultimate end? All right, an important question. I don't know that I can address that right now. I don't know. Your question is why does there need to be an ahari tayamim? The whole purpose is that you know I don't want to be put in a box. So what do you determine that? Right. Oh, so that's a very important question. But, but he's saying there are Pesukim explicit and there are Divrei Hachamim more explicit that there will be an ultimate end. He says, why is there an ultimate end? If it's an ideal that I'm striving for, so then there never should be an end. An important question which needs to be grappled with and dealt with. I've thankfully given a lot of thought to that as well. I got stuck on that for a long time. I couldn't understand the Harita Yamim as a result. If the whole thing is, as human beings, we can't or don't want to be in the Gan, we can't or didn't want to be at Matan Torah without Haita Egel, so then what are we, why are we marching toward that? All right, so you gave, you gave me an opportunity to give more classes in the future. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen, amen.